0: Oh, it's so good just to have us all in the room today, is it not? So good to see you, and it's good to be seen, and I'm just so thankful that you're here and that you took time out of your busy schedule. Many other places you could be right now, but you are here, and and I just know that the Word of God is going to be so valuable to you today. Um, I, I just absolutely know that it is, that the 915 service Uh, I know that people were helped, and I know that they will be today. I just put my confidence in in Jesus and the Word of God in that. Uh, Before I even get into my talk, though, um, the Lord woke me up on Friday morning at 4 o'clock in the morning. And this doesn't happen a lot. Um, so just in case you think he's like, he's super spiritual, he's so in tune with the Holy Spirit. It's like, it was 2.32 every day the Lord speaks to him. No, it wasn't like that. It was kind of like, I woke up and I'm like, why in the world am I awake at four o'clock in the morning? It was more like that. And, and then the the thought that came across my mind, And of course, I knew what this talk was going to be about today. And this talk is is really on the, the theme of faith. So I, was, I, I had that, I've just been kind of meditating on on some of those principles for a long time. But some certain names came to mind, and I just know that right now in this setting, what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to celebrate um, some great men of, of the faith and ladies of the faith, too, right here. So during the first service, we had two of our patriarchs who were here from the onset of the church back before 1983, and one of them is here today. And could I ask Don Gillum to please stand up? If, Don, I know you, you're, the last thing you want to do is stand up right now. Uh, and and I, Don and his, his wife, Jeannie, were some of the original people at the church before Dublin Bible Church, was Dublin Bible Church. Um, they were here, and they've been so faithful. And he and his bride, who's gone on to be with Jesus years ago, but they were so faithful. And we, as, as a church, we stand on the giants of faith like that, our patriarchs. So could we just give them a round of applause for, for that? And I think it is so good and valuable for us to just stop every once in a while and to recognize the people of faith who have maybe inspired, inspired us or maybe the people of faith who helped build something of which now that we stand on. And, of course, Don, and I recognize John and Marshall at the 915 service, and from my heart to yours, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you because... All of this, I don't believe any of this would even take place if you didn't have faith to step outside of yourself into what God was dreaming of for y'all to do. And you stepped up and you did it. And and it's continued to grow and flourish, and lives are being changed because of, of your faith. So um and, and faith of your bride and others just like you. Well, we're deep into this series called Greater Than. And this is actually week eight. We have two more weeks to go. Next week's message, you do not want to miss. It talks about the helmet of salvation. It's not exactly what you would think that it means. So uh, here's one of the things that I think would be valuable for you. If there is someone who maybe you've been a coworker, maybe a family member, who you've been talking and trying to talk to invite them to come into church and you want to kind of leverage a Sunday, next Sunday would be a great Sunday for them to come. Um, There's going to be a message that will speak to them and you. I absolutely know it as we talk about the helmet of salvation. Uh, The main text this morning that we're just going to launch out of and we're going to actually go into James 2 is actually found in Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. And this is no surprise if you've been here week after week because we've literally been in the same passage for now. This is the eighth week. But we're going to look at just two particular verses in this passage, or in this, this this passage of Scripture, and then we're going to launch out of that and touch some others, and, uh, and we're going to get to some really, really great things. So, um, there's going to be some things that you experience today that's going to be a little different from other type of sermons that I give. At the back end of this, I'm literally going to walk you through, principle by principle, by principle five different things that you can do, and five things that, that we think, and how to to use the word of God, and how the word of God infused with uh, with faith and prayer, and how we can actually battle spiritually so we can live victoriously. So that's going to be at the very end of this talk. Five great things that I guarantee you have not heard before that you need that you've experienced in one way or another. So you need to be uh, in, in tune with that. First, I want to just kind of tell you, this past week, I had an opportunity to go hiking with my dad. Um, we spent several days on the Appalachian Trail. Some of you, you're like, oh, that sounds like work. It is work, but I love it. I mean, I, I'm convinced that you would love it, too, if you tried it. So I went out on the trail with my dad this past week, and we weren't doing a whole lot of miles, but we were on the Appalachian Trail this time. And something that's so consistent with the Appalachian Trail is um, is just it's just climb after climb after climb, and then it'll be like a little dip, and then it's climb after climb after climb. I'm sure that's, that's as tall as I can go. Use your imagination to go higher, okay? That's all I have. 5'7", um, that's, that's my reach. That's all. Uh, I'm, I'm topped out there. But the thing that I, I, I even thought about in regards to what I experienced and my dad experienced this week and now on this topic of faith is Many times, life is just like that. It's, it's like one climb after the other. And if, if your life is like mine, there's not a whole lot of downtime. It seems like I climb to one peak to the next, and it may like dip or may stall a little bit, but it doesn't seem like it goes to where it gets into free fall, easy mode. It's just like difficult mode. And some of us have, have received some very bad news. Some of us are in the midst of some, some relational struggles, Some of us are in the midst of you just received um, just this diagnosis, and now you have just this overwhelming health scare, and you're right in the middle of it. And in all of those times, if your life is like mine, it feels like one climb after the other. And in moments like this, it reveals something about us. It reveals some very very important things about us. And in moments like this, I just want you to know if your faith is rooted in what you can think or how you feel or even even what you know, your faith is still rooted in you. So that faith will not be enough to endure the hardships, the struggles, the trials that life is gonna bring you. Because let me just give you a spoiler alert for every, everybody who's in here may know this, but just in case you don't, life is hard. Is it not? Life is hard. But contrary to that, The opposite of that, life is hard, but God is good. So can can we just say that together? I want us to say it. I just want us to say life is hard, but God is good. Let's say it, everybody, all together, life is hard. There you go. Now, that was pretty good. But I want to do it one more time. And on the back end, I want you to have a little bit, a little bit of attitude, like you're pushing Satan away, all right? It's just, like, dream with me a little bit. So, first you're going to say, life is hard. But then you're going to say, like, God is good. I want you to just, like, bear into it a little bit. I need, I need 100% participation. I'm watching you, and so is God. So, I'm just saying, this is important. You need, to, you need to do this. So, let's do this. Everybody, a little attitude on the back end. We're just sticking it to Satan right now. Ready? That's what I'm talking about. That's really good. That'll preach. So that is so true. And life is hard, but God is good. And one of the things that I found in the midst of our struggle is if we have a faith that's just rooted in ourself, if it's just a faith in, in what we can think or how we feel or what we want to believe, even in our, even of ourselves, that's a faith rooted in self. And that kind of faith leads us into what I call spiritual paralysis, it leads us into looking at other people and saying, "Man, I wish I had their life." That leads us into a place of spiritual paralysis where we say, "You know what? I'm never going to get over this sin." Like it's just over and over and over again. And I want to just just pose this idea: maybe because what you're calling faith is like this nine volt battery. Yep, it's good. It's charged. So, it's like a 9-volt battery. You see, the thing about this 9-volt battery is it's very limited, is it not? This has a very short uh, time frame of which it's going to be used, and then you discard it because one of the things we know about 9-volt battery is it's very limited. The difficulties that life will bring you cannot be handled or endured with this kind of faith because a 9-volt battery kind of faith is a faith that's rooted in what you can think or how you feel and what you can control. And you will never, ever, ever be able to deal with the climbs and the difficulties and the health scares and the relationship issues and the struggles in your marriage. You will never be able to to overcome those things if you're living your life off a nine-volt kind of faith. So I want to pose maybe a different idea. It's a different picture. And it's this picture. You see, the thing about That kind of power source is it creates something that is then usable. It creates a power and, and it just kind of builds upon itself. And that kind of power is the very thing that, that it actually gives a source for other people's kind of growth. It allows for, for other people to use that kind of energy. This kind of power not just is draining itself, it actually provides life for other things. A life in Christ is much more like that than it is like this. Because a life that we call maybe a life in Christ that is like a 9-volt battery is actually just a, it's a self-driven faith. So it's going to be limited on what we can think or how we feel and what we can control. But have you ever received bad news that you had no control over? Anyone ever done that? You've received some bad news that you had no control over? That's a subtle reminder that, that for you, that, that life is, is hard, that God is good. You need to lean on a faith that is bigger than you. So what I want for us is to, maybe ask ourselves the question, what does my faith look like today? Does it look more so like this nine-volt battery, which is, it, it may be fully charged right now, but, but this power is going to be super limited. And after a while, it's just not that usable anymore. Or is it more so like the picture you see on the screen to where then it actually has a power that kind of builds upon itself and actually empowers other people, other things to do what it is that they want to do. It's not just a faith rooted in self you see, the power a Christian has available is continually recharged through the Spirit of God. That the power that a Christian has available is continually recharged through the Spirit of God. For months now, we've been talking about spiritual disciplines. We've talked about spiritual disciplines, and now we're... we're I mean, we are like chest deep in this series. And all of these, these things are ways of utilizing the spiritual disciplines so that we can be recharged by the Spirit of God. It's literally putting on Christ so then that we cannot just live lives for ourselves, but we can live lives for the glory of God that's a faith rooted in Christ himself. Because one of the, one of the crazy things that we as Christians believe is that our lives are not our own anymore, that our lives are hidden in Christ, so the person I was is not the person I'm becoming. As a matter of fact, the person I was, I died to that person, and now I'm alive in Christ. See, that's just the, that's the overwhelming thing about a life that has is, is been given over to Jesus. And as a consequence to that, with the spiritual disciplines that we've talked about, it, it allows us to tap into this power that is available to us. And it's recharged, continually recharged through the Spirit of God. So the big idea for this morning is this. Faith holds on to the promises of God in times of accusation. So faith holds on to the promises of God in times of accusation. You say, well, well, Pastor, what's the benefit of, of faith in Christ? Well, here's two. There's a lot of them, but here's two. For one, it holds on to the promises of God in times of accusation. And what we've talked about in weeks gone by is Satan is the accuser. He is the accuser, but also he is the tempter, is what we talked about several weeks ago in a series out, or rather in a message, rooted out of Matthew 4, 1 through 11. So faith not only holds to the promise of God in times of accusation, it also, it, it uses the power of God in times of temptation So the times that Satan is trying to get us to believe something that is contrary to what the Word of God says about Christians, about the life that a Christian is supposed to live, it not only addresses that issue, but it also gives us the power in times of temptation so that we don't fall. Now, let's go into our passage. We're going to see how it all comes together. Ephesians 6, 16 says this. In addition to all this, So he says, in addition to what he's talked about previously, he's talked about um, what he will talk about, the helmet of salvation. He says, in addition to that, in, in addition to the belt of truth, in addition to the feet fitted, with the gospel of peace. In addition to that, he says, in addition to the breastplate of righteousness, that is Christ's righteousness imparted to a Christian, he says, even in, in addition to all of that, and he says, all those things are great, but he says, but I have something else I want you to put on. And this is what he says. Take up the shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows. Maybe your translation says darts of the evil one. He says so so the shield of faith, I want you to visualize a shield of faith just for a moment. A shield of faith is not like Captain America, it's a round shield, red and blue, you know, concentric circles with a white star in the middle, right? And I'm like that's no no no, that's that's like for the comics and and, in good movies. That's not what that is. This kind of shield is totally different. This shield, and the reason why the apostle Paul used this kind of verbiage is this shield would actually look more like a door. It'd be about four inches high and about two and a half inches wide or so. And this door would be a wooden door. It would be trimmed in metal, but then it would be covered with leather. And the reason why this is so significant and so significant in the imagery that that I love the Apostle Paul paints for us. It's because this leather, if a dart and the enemy would, would, would literally throw flaming darts or arrows, that they would go into the shield and because the leather was there, it would extinguish the arrow. Where if the leather wasn't there to extinguish the arrow, then that shield wouldn't be very good as soon as it caught a flaming dart, then the shield be, would be useless and then it would be discarded and then they would be vulnerable. See, the Apostle Paul, he goes through and he uses, this, he uses this imagery of which everybody in that audience would know. And now we know that this shield of faith. So when he says that it's to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, I'm gonna show you at the end of this talk, I'm gonna show you five flaming arrows. And I'm gonna show you how a faith that's rooted in prayer and the word of God, how all those things go together and how you can put out um, those flaming arrows arrows and what true faith is. Verse 18, same passage, we're going to talk about verse 17 next week. Verse 18 says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests and with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So he addresses the the shield of faith, that it's to extinguish the flaming arrows, but we're going to see something so powerful about prayer a little bit later in this talk. And he says, now and pray in the spirit on all occasions. On how many occasions? Somebody tell me. All occasions. That this is just something that that Christians just have to, not that they ought to do. There's a lot of things we ought to do that Christians have to do to live victoriously. And he says, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Now, I want to dig into something Um, Kind of quickly, I'm going to jump into this. We're going to camp out here for a moment before we get into the the flaming darts. And I want to just kind of paint for you a picture about faith, because oftentimes we have a misconception on what faith is and what faith is not. So I want to give you an acrostic, and then we're actually going to jump into James 2, starting in verse 14. Um, And once we get into verse 14 of James 2, we're going to see that maybe what you call faith is actually not a saving faith. The James says there's actually three different types of faith. Only one of, those, one of those things that maybe we call faith is a saving faith that's actually going to lead us to, to delight in God in eternity with heaven. But the other two are actually just a faith rooted in self. So I want to give you the first one, faith. This is an acrostic. It'll be all straight up and down. Um, some of you are type A's right now. You're like, I'm excited I get to make a list. Here you go. Faith, forgiveness of sin, forgiveness of sin. So think of the beginning of this. this is, oftentimes, this is what a lot of people think faith is, and they just kind of camp out on this. Well, it's forgiveness of sin. I, yes, I know that Jesus died for my sin. He died to take away my sin. I went forward at that, that Sunday school or the vacation Bible school or that church service. I came forward. And you say, yes, I recognized intellectually that Jesus died for my sin. And some of you consider that faith that's rooted in Christ. You may see that that's on shaky ground here in a bit. There's more than that. So it's a forgiveness of sin. Of course, we believe and we know as, as true Christians, we believe that Jesus died to take away the sins of the world and that God doesn't force himself on anyone. As a matter of fact, he reveals himself to people. He initiates faith, but then he, it requires us to submit to his lordship and to have the, the salvation that's rooted in him. Second one is assurance of salvation. This is not just the fact that God saves this is not just, this is not the question, does God keep you saved, of which he does? But this is, how can I know that I'm saved? How can I know that I'm saved? And the New Testament is full of examples how somebody can know that they're saved, that they don't have to, to wonder, well, I don't know, I just, I, I'm just not really sure. Sometimes I think so, sometimes I think I'm not. No, no, we're, we're actually going to see this more next week. I'm not going to expand on this a lot. Um, we're going to draw out, This and the last principle you're going to see on the screen in a minute, we're going to draw these out next week. So the assurance of salvation is is not just that God saves, not that God keeps me saved, but how can I know that I'm saved? One of the great promises in the Word of God is we can know that we're saved. We don't have to wonder. Well, I think I might be. We can know. Another one is identification into God's family. Identification into God's family. This is something I talk about a lot because all of the brokenness that has happened in our culture, all of the, the fatherlessness that happens in our culture, it, I mean, across the board, it's just an epidemic right now. And I talk about this because I know that where we sit, a lot of people need the reality that when somebody commits their life to Christ, when they're truly redeemed and they're born again Christians, that they don't just have to identify with the brokenness of their, of their own home. Now they've been expanded. They've been adopted into God's family. So now they're truly God's children. So I have to ask you this question. Do you have a growing awareness and appreciation for being identified into God's family? If you don't have a growing appreciation for the forgiveness of your sins, for the assurance of your salvation, for the identification into God's family, if you don't have a growing awareness and appreciation for those things, you have to ask yourself the question, am I saved at all? Or is my faith just rooted in me? Now, the T. The T means triumph over Satan. That's what this whole series has been about. How we can live victoriously while battling spiritually. So we're not just going to tuck tail and run when the enemy comes knocking. As a matter of fact, we're going to be so aware of the enemy's schemes that we're in tune with it. And we know how to battle spiritually so that we can live victoriously. I just want to ask you this very simple question in regards to this. Are you actually having a triumph over Satan? Are you having a triumph? Are you winning over the sin in your life? Are you sinning less? Or maybe, maybe I'll just ask it this way: is the distance between the time of your sinning and the time of your repentance getting shorter? If the, if the time frame between the time that you sin and the time that your repentance is not getting shorter, you're not actually triumphing over Satan at all. A real faith that's rooted in Christ it's not expecting you to be perfect. Jesus was perfect for you. But what he's expecting of you is continual repentance. He's expecting you to live a life that is, bears fruit. And that fruit should be in keeping with the repentance that the word of God calls us to, which means that we're ever changing, that we're, we're preaching the gospel to ourselves. We're going through and we're not just allowing sin to fester in our life because we know we have a growing awareness of the forgiveness of sin that happened on the cross of Christ. So why would we just go out and just willingly sin over and over and over knowing that Jesus died for that? But instead, there's a promise of triumph over Satan. Triumphing over Satan. And the last one is hope of deliverance. The hope of deliverance. And again, we're going to talk more about this next week. And we're actually going to see how the assurance of salvation and the hope of deliverance really go hand in hand. When we talk about the helmet of salvation. See, this This kind of faith, this is the kind of thing that really makes us put the brakes on. That what's being described to you right now really should make you put the brakes on. It really should make you ask the question, am I in the faith or not? Is my faith just rooted in me or is it rooted in Christ? Because if it's a faith rooted in self, you're going to be sadly, sadly disappointed on your judgment day. And we all have a judgment day coming. Again, I want to go to James 2 starting in verse 14 through verse 26. This will not be on the screen. So if you want to flip there, you can. If not, I totally understand. But that's where I'm going to be, and I would love to meet you there. James 2, 14. What we're going to see in this, this passage is we're going to see three different types of faith, two of which are actually a faith in self. The last one is a faith that's rooted in Christ with evidence. So let's go to verse 14. Let's see exactly what it says. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith, but he has no deeds? Can such faith save him? It's a great question. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So the first little bit of faith, and it's a faith rooted in self, I'm just calling it an intellectual faith. It's a faith where maybe you know the gospel, and it's in your mind... And one of the ways you can tell, you and I would be able to tell, if we just have an intellectual understanding of faith is this. is when you hear the word of God preached to you, if you just sit back with your hands crossed, even metaphorically, maybe your your mind closed and your heart closed to the truth of God's word, and you would say words like this. I've already heard this before. I already know this story. This is for someone else. And maybe you know all the answers. Maybe you know all the stories. Maybe you can tell me all of the 66 books of the Bible in order. And yet you're calling all of those things, you're calling it true saving faith in Christ. But in accordance with the passage I just read to you, it says that that faith is what? Dead. Meaning it's not there. But Satan is the deceiver in some of us. And I want to be so careful in telling you this, but I want to be truthful to the word of God. Some of us have started to believe that that kind of faith will save us. And we are actually deceived. That type of faith is not rooted in Christ. It's rooted in self and it condemns us. So we can say the right things. We can regurgitate the right answers. We can be able to know where things are in the Bible. But if we have not committed our life to Christ, then our life, our faith is actually rooted in us. It's rooted in what we know and how we feel and what we can control. And that type of faith will not save you. That type of faith condemns you. That's a real gut check, is it not? Because if you've been in church a long time, That may tell your story. And maybe that was the most kind thing that the Lord revealed to you today. That what you're calling a Christianity is actually not a faith rooted in Jesus, it's rooted in you. Second type of faith we're going to see. Second type. Verse 18. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone, meaning just what he's just kind of mapping out. You see, this type of faith, the first one, again, it's my words, the first one I would say is an intellectual faith. The second is an, is an emotional faith. See, an emotional faith is it's just rooted on how I feel. Well, I'm gonna do the parts of the Bible that make me feel good. I'm gonna do the parts of the Bible that I want to do. After all, I'm still pleasing myself. It's a matter of my desires. And as long as the Word of God fits my desires, I'll do it. But if not, I am backing away from that quicker than anything because this is rooted in a faith also in self, not in Christ. And this is an emotional faith. This type of faith would say, you know what? I'm going to go to church when I feel like it. I'm going to read the Bible when I feel like it. I'm going to pray when I feel like it. I'm going to be in a a community group when I feel like it. It's all rooted in your emotions. And emotions are so fickle. Your emotions would turn on you that fast. That faith is a faith in self, not a faith in Christ. So the first one was in Intellectual faith. You know all the right answers. You can't be taught anything because you've heard them all. Second one is an emotional faith. Did you see what it said about the demons? Did you see that in the passage I just read? It said, even the demons shudder. They are moved by just the presence of God or even the, the presence and just the, the, the foreknowledge of the Word of God. They're, they're moved by that. That's why it takes more than emotions, it takes the mind. The mind has to be redeemed. It takes the heart. It takes the city of your emotions has to be redeemed. And in a true saving faith looks like this. Let's continue on. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This faith, I'm just... For my, my term, I'm just calling it active faith. It's an engagement of of the mind. It's an engagement of the heart. And it's an engagement of doing, of doing, of doing. So again, looking looking at that passage of Scripture in light of the acrostic that was on the screen talking about faith and the forgiveness of sin, assurance of salvation, identification uh, of being God's children, the triumph over Satan, and the hope of deliverance, in light of those things and in light of the Word of God, where is your faith actually rooted? Is it rooted in you or is it rooted in Jesus? I'll tell you a simple story, and then, and then I think it'll point us even deeper into this. Uh, I had the opportunity fresh out of high school to go into the Navy, and I served in the Navy for four years. And I learned a lot of things. I learned some skills. And the first thing I learned um, in boot camp in the Navy is never again volunteer yourself. That's what I learned, right? I mean, I learned it really, really early, getting screamed out for the first couple of days. I was like, there you done it again. You should have listened to them, but you didn't. You're Here you are. But in the midst of that, you see, the Navy doesn't, they, when I was in, they didn't draft anyone. They only took people who were willingly um, who were willingly ready to commit to that period of time in service. So they made us go and stand in this, in this room and it's kind of awkward moment. And you had to raise your hand and you had to basically make an oath to the constitution and, and some other stuff that I don't remember. Um, but a, a lot of those things, but what you're doing is saying I'm committing this amount of years into the military service. And part of that, you have to go and do what they say to do. So I, I had the opportunity of going to a lot of different places in the world, really cool places, got to go to Jerusalem twice um, Bethlehem twice. I mean, it was it was just. I'm st- I remember standing on the Mount of Olives. Uh, that was incredible. Um, I just seeing different parts of the world. I remember going to Spain. It was like some remote, you know, European paradise island in Spain. It was amazing. A couple of those, Greece. Uh, that was really cool italy um, got to see the the leaning tower of pisa i call it the leaning tower of letdown i wasn't that impressed but it was neat anyway and i got to go to all got to go to france uh, and eat some eat some really good desserts i mean i got to go do all those things but in, in with that there was some those were the good things but another place that it took me particularly on my first deployment i did two different deployments and my first one they picked me to fly off of the ship and go to saudi arabia on a detachment I think it was like three or four weeks, I'm not really sure, on the timeline. But had this opportunity at first, I was like, this is awesome, I get off of the ship. Like that was just, that was a win. That was like Chadzook for the win. I mean, that's what that was, I'm getting off the ship, and I get to go see something else. And I thought that it was going to be great because of, uh, you know, because of really what was just conjured up in my mind. But then, as I flew off the ship and I flew into Cairo, or excuse me, Alexandria, Egypt, and then I flew from Alexandria, Egypt into Saudi Arabia, some things be, started to really become real for me because the actual barracks where we were staying in Saudi Arabia was bombed. It was, it was bombed several years earlier. The very place, the barracks where we were staying was actually bombed, and a lot of servicemen and women died here at the same place. And for me, I thought I was like, man, this is a vacation from work. Like, this is awesome. This is a paid vacation. Uh, but, but that striking reality really hit me whenever I left there and then went into, uh, went into Saudi Arabia because the place where we got dropped off was actually a compound. And I was, I was very much aware that I, I wasn't, that, that wasn't home for me. That was that was not home for me because the barracks itself, of course, the stories of it being bombed and there was just there was perimeter fences and it was armed guards everywhere. And it was a very surreal moment. I realized in that moment I was not in Kansas anymore. That's what I realized. And then also I remember as I was leaving that barracks and then they would take us in in these unmarked vans from the barracks, then to the airfield. And I remember this is right at the time where the Scud missile attacks or the Scud missile things were happening with the Patriot missiles and the whole ramp up. And I remember that I was leaving the barracks and then going into the airfield. And as I was approaching the airfield, there was Patriot missile site after Patriot missile site after Patriot missile site. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm not on vacation. I'm in the middle of a war zone. You see, for us, I want us to just kind of, Stop here for a moment, maybe put the brakes on just for, just for even if it's a second to understand that if you, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus and your life bears fruit that you are truly redeemed, what you've in essence done is you have, you have gone from standing in the enemy's ranks and now you have stepped out of the enemy's ranks and now you're actually opposing the enemy. So what do you think the enemy is going to do when he sees you commit your life to Jesus? Now you have a faith that's not rooted in self anymore and a faith that's rooted in Jesus. And you have, in essence, you have switched sides. You have changed teams. I know from personal experience, and I bet you do too, many of you do too, that in the the midst of that, when you decide that I'm going to switch sides from the evil one to be in the Lord's army, that Satan is going to be stirred and is going to be spurred to work against you. Does anybody know that to be true? You see, so in that moment, you shouldn't be surprised even if your life is a little bit difficult and you call yourself a follower of Christ. Your life rooted in Christ is not to be just a life of ease. It's a life of discipleship. It's salvation and discipleship, which means you have to go back to the Spirit of God. You have to go back to the Word of God. You have to live a life that's rooted in Jesus because after all, you have switched sides. You have switched sides. So the type of faith that's just rooted in self will not be able to endure that situation. If you're just uh, just a, a life that's a faith that's rooted in self, you will not be able to endure the hardships that the life will bring. It will not. It demands of us, it requires of us to live a life of active submission to God, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the life of faith that He's calling us to. And a life of faith that's really a life of faith will bear fruit. It will make you different. If it's real, it'll make you different. Ephesians 6 12 tells this about our battle. He says, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the darkness. See, so this. let me just stop here for a moment and let us just kind of just to draw our attention. And that means that the struggle you're having right now in your mind is not just you. That means the struggle you're having in your marriage right now is not your spouse's fault. That means that the struggle you're having with that wayward child and you're, you're, so, just, you're just so anxious for them to come back, maybe a prodigal, you're anxious for them to come back, that means that the struggle is not just about your child. That means the struggle is not in your spouse. That means the struggle is not in your boss. That struggle is not in your neighbor and the struggle is not in your coworker. Your struggle is against the evil forces that, that rest in the world. So now all of a sudden... This gets us to a place to where now maybe we don't just look at people as the enemy anymore. Maybe, maybe this leads us as a church, maybe this leads us to a place of compassion with people who look different than us and, and they live different than us. Maybe this is a place of compassion to say, you know what? There's a lot more going on at play here than what you're choosing. Because Satan is organized. So our struggle, is not just a, it's not about the flesh. It's not. It's so much deeper than that. But God allows us to live victoriously while we battle spiritually. And that's why we need... The shield of faith. I want to give you, quickly, I want to give you five flaming arrows. These are mine. You could have been so much more creative in the naming of these. They're not very creative. But I want to give you five different flaming arrows. If you're a note taker, this would be a great opportunity for you to do so. But I want to give you five flaming arrows as I, as I kind of round out this talk. And I'm going to go pretty quick. But what we're going to see in the midst of this is we're going to see how our self-talk reveals what we really believe in the moment. How our self-talk what it really reveals about us in the moment. So the first one, again, uh, not real flashy, the flaming arrow of missed potential. And there's some words associated with the flaming arrow of missed potential. Remember, it's the, it's the shield of faith that it extinguishes the arrows. I'm giving you five arrows. There's dozens more, but I'm only giving you five for the sake of your time and attention. Some words associated with that are, I'm stupid, I'm uneducated, and I'm underqualified. I'm not smart enough to serve. I don't know the Bible enough to serve. I've, I, because of the things that I've done, my, my, my potential is gone. There was a time in my life where I think God would want me to do that. I could have done that, but I've made so many mistakes that that's, that's, that time's already passed for me. Instead, here's how our faith informs that. So instead of the flaming arrow, Satan's accusation that I'm stupid, uneducated, underqualified, instead you counter that, you hear that, that's your self-talk, this is what we say to ourselves. instead you hold that thought captive, you surrender it to Christ, and now you reveal the truth of God's word, and the truth of God's word says, no, 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 you're not stupid, uneducated, and and underqualified, instead your faith says, if you have a true faith that's rooted in Jesus, that you have the mind of Christ, that's what it says. And here's what a passage in 1 Corinthians 2 10 through 16 says, I'll just uh, cut to verse 12. And it says, and we, meaning Christians, and we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. So that we can know the things that God has freely given us. And at the back end of that, it says in verse 16, for who knows enough to teach him, but we understand these things. Christians, we understand these things because what the word of God says is, because we have the mind of Christ. So when you hear the whisper of self-talk, the accusation that you're not smart enough, you're not educated enough, that your potential's gone, you counter that with the word of God, and you say, no, no, no. The word of God says, I have the mind of Christ. That means I have the mind of Christ, and all that comes with that, I have all of that to my disposal. I'm not gonna believe that self-talk anymore. I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow my shield of faith rooted in Jesus to then extinguish that arrow, so therefore it doesn't penetrate me, it doesn't penetrate my mind, it doesn't penetrate My heart. Second arrow. The flaming arrow of misplaced self-worth. Some words associated with this are, I feel worthless and God is done with me. I feel worthless and God is done with me. Our self-talk reveals what we really believe in the moment. Some other words that are associated with that is, well, if they knew the things that I've done, they would, well, I'm not gifted like other people. Or the flip side of this, well, I should be in charge. I could do it better than anybody else. After all, no one can do it like me. Or maybe we flip it around again. He says, well, I I should have figured it out by now. What's wrong with me? But instead, we're going to counter that with the word of God, with Ephesians 2.10. Specifically, we're going to counter that and say, no, no, no. I'm not I'm not worthless. My worth doesn't come from me. My worth comes from Christ. So instead, I'm going to counter that with the word of God. And the word of God says this about me. I am God's workmanship. Maybe your translation of the Bible says masterpiece. I love that one even better. It says, no, 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 no. My my faith says, my faith rooted in Jesus says that I am God's workmanship created by God to do good works. That's what God's word says about me. That's what my faith says about me. That's what God says about me. I'm not going to listen to that little bit of of, of self-talk and the temptation to to derail my future. I'm not going to listen to that, that little bit of self-talk to then derail maybe the future of others. Instead, I'm going to hold that thought captive. It's not even true. That's not true of me. The Bible says that it's not true of me. So my faith says that I, that I, if you're in Christ, I am God's workmanship. I am God's masterpiece created by God to do good works. That's what God's word, God's word says about me. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have an active faith, that's what the word of God says about you. Another flaming arrow is this, the flaming arrow of bitterness or resentment. Of bitterness or resentment. And some words associated with that is the self-talk again. You don't need anyone. Just push others away. You don't need anyone. You don't need anyone. They're just going to hurt you. People can't be trusted. Look at them. I deserve better than what I'm getting. They're like everyone else. They're all conspiring against me. I just don't fit in with them. I don't know if I fit in at all. They're just pretending like nothing even happened. How could they? See, these are all words that explain bitterness. So instead, we're going to hold those Those words, that self-talk, we're going to hold all that captive, and what we're going to do is we're going to replace it with an element of faith infused by the Word of God. And the Word of God says this, no, 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 my faith says, and this is from Ephesians 4.31, it says, no, my faith says that I need to get rid of all bitterness and all anger and all rage and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. That's what my faith says. So I'm not gonna allow that bitterness to fester in my heart anymore because my faith says I have been forgiven by Jesus. And and if I've been forgiven by Jesus, I have to forgive you just as Jesus has forgiven me. So if that is our truth this morning, if that is your truth, when you hear this message right now in this moment, that means that you have to get rid of all bitterness and get rid of all rage and anger and malice and slander and brawling. And instead, we're going to get rid of that, but we're going to replace it with the truth of God's word. It's the very next passage, actually. And this comes from Ephesians 4.32. He says, instead, we're going to be, compa- we're going to be kind. And we're going to be compassionate to one another. So I'm going to get rid of all bitterness. No, no, my life is hidden in Christ. I have an active faith rooted in Christ. I have a growing awareness of my sin. I'm, I'm being delivered from my sin right now. No, no, that's where I am. So my faith in Christ says this, that I'm going to be kind and I'm going to be compassionate. And even if I don't know how to, I'm going to forgive other people just in the way that I've been forgiven. Even if I don't know how to, I'm just going to go to Jesus over and over and over and say, Jesus, how, teach me how to do this. I don't know how to do this. How did you do this? Show me from your word how I can do this. And it's going to develop a deep walk with God, which is what God wants for us and what he's wanted the whole time. Number four, the flaming arrow of prayerlessness. This one, I myself have struggled with through the prayers, if I'm honest with you. And the flaming arrow of prayerlessness is this. Well, if God already knows, why pray? If God already knows, why even pray? And does God know? Absolutely, He knows. Absolutely, He knows. Some other words that go with that are this. Why does God answer everyone else's prayers but not mine? Or I, doubt, I really doubt God will come through on this for me. Or God's holding out on you. Just do it yourself. Or I just don't know if God would do that for us. He just does that for other people. You see, all of this bit of self-talk leads us into a prayerlessness. Instead, we're going to counter that with the word of God. We're going to counter that with some truth that we see from James 5. And it says, no, no, no. My faith says that the prayer of the righteous man or righteous woman is powerful and effective. That's what my faith rooted in Jesus says. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray not to change my mind, but I'm going to pray to change my heart. I'm not going to pray to change God's mind. I'm going to pray to change my heart. And when I pray and I seek God, I'm trusting he's going to deliver on his promises. I'm trusting that he's going to, he's going to deliver me from temptation. I'm trusting that his power is available for me. And I'm just trusting that, that, his, that my prayer offered up to him through a righteous person, a person that's right with God, is powerful and effective. Even if I don't know when it's going to happen, even if I don't know where it's going to happen, even if I don't even know what it's going to look like, I'm just trusting that God is going to be there and he's going to deliver on his promises. That's what a life of faith says, a life that's a faith rooted in Jesus. Fourth one. Actually, fifth one. You were confused for a minute. Fifth one is this, the flaming arrow of defeat. And if I'm honest, this is where a lot of not only Christians, but this is where a lot of you may sit to where you've tried and you've tried and you've tried. And maybe you prayed for a little while. Maybe you read the Bible for a little while and you stopped. And maybe the reason why you stopped and maybe the reason why you feel the defeat and maybe the reason why Satan's flaming arrow has has affected you in that way is because your faith was like this. It was just rooted in you. Maybe that's why. That it was as much as you could think of, it's as well as you felt, and it's as good as you can control. So maybe for you, may, what you need to do is, is kind of stop in this moment and to, to really capitalize on what the Word of God says and what a faith that's rooted in Christ actually says, and the word of God says this in Ephesians 1, 18 through 23. It says, my faith says, I have the same power that brought Jesus out of the grave inside me. So how could I quit? You see, that's what, if you have a faith that's rooted in Jesus, that's what it's saying. That's what the word of God says about you. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's what the word of God says about you. It says, I have the same power that brought Jesus out of the grave. And so, so as a consequence to that, how could I stop? How could I quit? How could I just how could I just fold and walk away? I mean, how could I do that? I've got this same power that, that brought Jesus out of the grave, residing in me, and it is flourishing in me. I'm not going to stop anymore because my faith is not rooted in me anymore. My faith is rooted in a God who loves me and a God who pursued me, a God who has forgiven me of my sin, a God who gives me assurance of my salvation, a God who now, he says, I identify with you and your family. It's a God who's given me triumph over Satan, and it's a God who then is spurring me to have this hope of deliverance. And because of those bits of truth, I'm not going to quit anymore because, after all, I didn't have the power to even engage in the battle to begin with. So instead, we stop. And we say, I'm not going to quit. I'm not defeated. Satan is our defeated foe. Our victory has already been won. Remember, if you're a follower of Jesus... We don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. So I was thinking about these, these five things, and there could be many more. And I've really been overwhelmed by these, and, and I know that, that some of you have found your story right in the middle of them. But I also hope that, that you've stopped, you put the brakes on long enough to ask some really good questions about yourself. Their being, is my faith just rooted in me or is it rooted in Christ? Because if you have a faith that's rooted in Christ, that kind of faith holds on to the promises of God in times of accusation. And that type of faith also uses the power of God in times of temptation. That it's not resting on us, it's not resting on our ability, we're resting on the goodness of God. And the greatness and the power of Jesus that is the victory that i want for my life that's the victory i've had some i've had some victories a lot of times i haven't had victory but i want you to have victory i would like to close this in a word of prayer and i would just just going to take these five things, and I'm just going to pray over them and pray over you. So if you are indeed a Christian this morning, I would love it if you'd pray with me, or if you're not a follower of Christ, I would just love for you just to observe this moment of silence while I pray. Um, Father God, I, I thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for identifying us into your family. I thank you, Jesus, for willingly submitting your broken body on the cross for sinners like me. Lord God, I pray that you would, you would speak to the hearts of people who maybe are suffering with the flaming arrow of mispotential. Maybe other people who are just suffering through the flaming arrow of, of misplaced self-worth. Maybe the, the flaming arrow of bitterness is set into people's hearts and and Lord Jesus, I pray that that maybe there's even some the flaming arrow of prayerlessness. Like I just want to give up. I just I just I don't even know why I'm praying anymore. God, I pray that you would redeem that brokenness in people's minds and hearts. And, and Father, I pray that that every single person who is listening to this message right now will never settle for defeat when you've already given victory. Thank you, Jesus, for the victorious spiritual life in you. Amen. Amen. Well, everybody, thank you so much for your time and attention. I, uh, I want you to, to be well this week. And again, next week we will get into something that will be so practical and so beneficial, maybe for somebody who you've been um, trying to, you've been praying, praying about and, and talking to, to invite them to church. Next week could be a great week. I hope you have an awesome week, and, uh, and hopefully you have many victories in Jesus. Amen.